So as you guys, the majority of you know, if it's your first time, you can kind of catch up to speed. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We've been talking about prototype. That's really been our theme for the last several months. And we've really been kind of trying to stay open-handed with it and just seeing where the Holy Spirit takes us. But the idea of a prototype is something new, something that's being built, something that's being developed. But it has to have very important, uh, essential, I could say, ingredients or components to it. So we've been casting vision and, and building our faith for the new things that God is doing. And we've been casting a vision and building faith for where God is taking us and what he's calling us to. But we've really been focusing on what are the key components of what he's building? What are the key elements? What are the things that are so important to us? And part of that, <coughs> excuse me, has caused us to look back to our past and to look back to our history as a church and what are the important things that God has done in us over the years, in the last 35 years that was Toronto City Church, but what are those things that we want to hold on to and make sure that we're building as we go forward. And so if you've been here for the last two months, you'll remember that we've talked about the essential ingredient of prayer and that we want to be a praying church. That's why I'm big on things like school of prayer. Because you have an opportunity to learn and to grow and to develop your prayer life. We've talked about the essential of encounter. Not speaking so much about the weekends, but the actual act of encountering God. And that encounter is so essential. And we want this to be a place of encounter. We've talked about the power of radical generosity. That God's calling us to be a people who are radically generous. And that we'd give our time, our resources, our finances to the kingdom of God. We talked about community, koinonia, and just how God's called us to be in fellowship, how God's called us to be one. And we've talked about the power of that, and then that built us into talking just simply about being together. You know, in this passage, they were all together. When the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, they were all together. And the importance of us gathering and prioritizing, being here and being one. This then led us into talking about the power of praise and thanksgiving. And the Lord actually kept us stuck there for several weeks as we took time to talk about being a people of praise and a people of thanksgiving and what God is doing. And so that's just been a few of the things that we have really touched on. And so as I felt we were coming into a bit of an end, a bit of a landing of the plane, so to speak, in this series, I was really seeking the Lord and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do we need to talk about? What's the, what's the last thing we need to focus on this is? Because you know, there's so much in the word of God. And there's so much more that we could pull and draw from and talk from. But I say, Lord, if we're talking about essentials, if we're really casting vision for what you're building and where you're taking us, what is the final thing that I need to talk about or address? And in preparing and going over, I really felt the Lord take me literally just to the last statement of this passage. And the last statement, which simply says this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I want to take some time, if we're talking about essentials, we're talking about what God's building, we're talking about what God is taking us. And again, we've talked about so many important topics and so many things that are close to my heart, I believe that need to be close to our heart as a church family. But it would be wrong of me, it would be remiss for me to talk about foundational components of what God is building and not talk about God's heart for people to be saved. And not talk to you about God's heart for people to be born again and for people to come into the kingdom of God. Family, if we are going to talk about as a church what matters, what we need to be about, what we need to be focused on, then evangelism, sharing the gospel with people, seeing people come into the kingdom of God, come out of the kingdom of darkness, come into the kingdom of light, that has to be something that is very central to who we are, to where God is taking us, and what we are all about. And so just as we see in the early church that day by day the Lord was adding to their number of people that are being saved, we need to have this same heart in Toronto City Church that we would say, God, we want to see people come to you. We want to see people saved. We want to see people receive the gospel. You see, in the early church, and we see it here in this passage, if you read the book of Acts, you see it throughout the book of Acts, there was a very clear emphasis on reaching people with the good news of Jesus. It was a priority to them. It was not a secondary topic or a secondary issue. 
We see them, tra Paul traveling and going on his missionary journeys. He was going on missionary journeys to bring the gospel to people and then to strengthen the church. And what was the church doing? Working to bring the gospel to people. We see in Ephesus where there was the revival and the move of God. And it said within two years, all of Asia had heard the word of the Lord. This was their driving passion. This was their heart to get the good news of Jesus to as many people as possible. And family, in the same way, if we're talking prototype, if we're talking who God's called us to be as a church family, we need to carry this same heart. It cannot be a secondary issue to us, but it must be a primary issue. Everyone say a primary issue. Now, why was this so important in the early church? Well, I think if we just start with it, we look at the words that Jesus said to them before he left. They were running with a mission that he had given them. You know, I was thinking about uh, if, if, if I'm heading out of the house and I'm going to go somewhere and the kids are still there at the house, you know, as I go, usually as a good father, I'm going to remind them of some very important things before they go. And especially if there's things that are particularly important, how many know, parents especially, I'm going to make sure I remind them. Make sure, check this, make sure you do this, make sure you don't do this. I was kind of laughing. If my wife goes away and leaves me at the kids with the house, she definitely reminds me of some things that I need to make sure I take care of and things I do. And I'm pretty good. I can hold it down. I'll take care of it most of the time. But she's going to remind. You know, nowadays, too, I'll be shooting texts. And I'll be shooting reminders and say, hey, don't forget this. Don't forget this. And what am I going to emphasize? I'm not going to emphasize secondary or trivial matters. What am I going to emphasize? I'm going to emphasize the things that are really important. Don't forget this. Make sure you do this. Don't forget to make this happen, right? That's how we do it. And so in the same way, we see just before Jesus left, just before he ascended into heaven, here's what he said to his disciples and he said to us, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Shout out baptism right there. If you're not baptized, two weeks, you can get baptized. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? We get environments where we're taught and we grow in the word. That's why we do things like the courses. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If we move over to Mark 16, 15 to 20, he says, and he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes in me is baptized, baptism again, will be saved. And whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he'd spoken this to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. Everybody say, preached everywhere. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So family, we see here, as Jesus was leaving, he leaves his mission. We often call it the Great Commission. He leaves a mission. He leaves an assignment. He leaves a focus for his church. And it's interesting because when he left, he didn't say, I'm going to leave, he said, and, and go into all the world and, and, and start prayer meetings. Now, am I against prayer meetings? Definitely not. Are prayer meetings vital and important? Definitely they are. But that's not what he said. He didn't say go and leave prayer meetings. He didn't say go and build buildings. Go build organizations. He didn't say go and, and have great community. and have great, Even though those are all things that we will do as we follow him. He said, but here's the mission. He said, go and preach the gospel to all creation. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And family, I want to encourage you today. And this is more of just a reminder. It's something to stir up our hearts as a church family. If we're talking about prototype, if we're talking about what God is building, if we are talking about what God is doing, Right at the center of that, we've got to carry this heart that he has. You know, I'm thinking back to the encounter, and just even as we're talking about the cross, and we are talking as men about how Jesus gave his life for us to be saved, and he gave his life for us to be free, and he gave his life for us to be delivered. That is the heart of what he did. And so as a church family, we want to constantly be 
stoking and keeping the fire in our hearts that I'm thankful that Jesus saved me, but there's somebody else that needs it too. I'm thankful that Jesus delivered me, but there are other people that need it just as well as I do. And it's not okay for me just to enjoy the blessings of God and enjoy the blessings of salvation and not make any effort or any attempt to take it to anybody else. But I want to be a Christian and we want to be a church that is not, as I like to say to you guys, a cruise ship church where it's all about coming and about us and about what's easy and about what's comfortable. But we want to be a rescue ship church and we want to be rescue ship Christians that say Jesus pulled me out of the water and now I want to go with him and I want to help get somebody else out of the water and we need to work together. Let us be a rescue ship church family and let us always remember because the devil will fight this. If he can't get you away from Jesus, then his effort will be to get us inwardly focused, to get us fighting one another, to get us focused on just all the things that God does for us and forget about what God wants to do for others, to get focused on just what happens inside these four walls and forget about what God wants to do out there. Will we continue to fight to be a rescue ship church? Will we continue to fight to be rescue ship Christians? That was the heart that Jesus had. And so in the early church, they were about mission. In the early church, they were about reaching people. In the early church, they were about people coming into the kingdom. Every day they were seeing it happen. And they were about that because they were following Jesus' command. And in the same way, if we were to catch the heart of this passage and we were to talk prototype and we were to talk that we need to have this same heart, And we need to say, because all through it and all through the book of Acts, there's this heart to take the gospel to people. And my prayer for my life, my prayer for our lives is in the middle of what God's doing, in the middle of this fresh move of the Holy Spirit that is starting to happen, that we will make sure that the fire to see people come to Jesus, to see people come to the kingdom will always burn bright. It was in the early church. It needs to be today. But here's the question I want to ask. Why were they so focused on this? Just beyond the fact that Jesus said to do it, which in itself should be enough. But what I've found is God, God will very regularly explain why. You know, there's a few times that he'll tell you to do something. And if you ask why, he'll be like, no, don't worry, just do it. But God doesn't mind explaining why to us. He's explained it all through the scriptures, the why. Why, why was this such a priority? Why does this matter so much? Why should this matter for us today? Well, one of the main reasons was simply this. And you'll see it in what Jesus said in Mark 16. It's a goal of the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. There's, there's, There's an eternal reality here that he's talking to us about, and it's why it becomes such a priority to us. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, 11 to 15. I'm going to look at a Revelation 20. This is from the book of Revelation. It's, it's a vision of a day that is coming. And so the Lord takes John in a vision and in a supernatural experience and he shows him a day that is coming in the future. It's a day that is still coming for us. Let's just read it together. It says, And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, which is God our Father. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what each of them had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, right off the top, this is a heavy passage. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of different scriptures and passages in the Bible, and many of them are encouraging and build us up, bring hope, bring life, bring encouragement. Not this one doesn't bring hope, but this is, this is some heavy content. It's talking about the fact that there's a day that's coming. Another passage about says it is appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. And God is love. He is the expression of love. He is, he is the definition of love. 
But guys, I want you to know today, he's also justice. He's also the judge and king of the universe. And there's a day coming where all of us are going to stand before him and we're going to give an account. Every human being that's ever walked on the face of this earth is going to stand before God. And we are going to be judged. This judge doesn't necessarily mean a negative connotation. To judge means to weigh. But we are going to be judged. And it's interesting. I, I, I mean, we'll see how, what this, I mean, some of these things you go, wow, how's that actually going to look, Lord? But it says there's books that will be opened. And in these books will be all the actions that we've ever done. If you dive a little deeper into the scriptures, Jesus said it's also going to be every thought that you've ever thought. Every word you've ever said. Anybody besides me getting a little nervous at the moment? <laughs> right? I mean, we're, we're talking, this is heavy here. So these books are opened. And as much as I, I'm being light for a moment, guys, this is what the Bible says. And that every action, every thought, every word is now going to be laid bare before the judge. And then it talks about this book of life. Because here's the problem, and, and we all guess this is, this is the problem, but it's also the amazing thing about the gospel. How many know all of us are going to be in trouble if everything we've ever done, said, or thought is in these books? Some of us, there are some days maybe we'd want the Holy Spirit to kind of white out. So it's years, what year? Oh, 2020, 20, you know, 2017. Oh, bad year. Lord, can we just skip 20? Can we, can we kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd probably be like, oh, no, oh, oh, wait, oh, no, no, don't let that one come out. You know, I don't know. Is it going to be the HD screen? I mean, I, I think with all that, but here's the thing. All of us deserve judgment, but this is the gospel. Jesus said, even though you deserve judgment, I came to save you. I came to redeem you. And if you will repent from sin, you'll put your faith and trust in me. I will take the robes of the, the, the rags of sin and I will give you my garments of righteousness. And on that day of judgment, you will stand before God as if you never sinned. Even though you did. You will stand before God. So I don't know how this is going to look. Is it going to just be in the book of you know the book of your actions? You're like, wait a minute, you missed that, Lord. Oh Lord, oh you totally forgot that one, Lord. Oh I, no, I remember that season. But I don't know exactly how it's going to look. But you are going to stand before God, righteous by the power of Jesus. And what's going to happen because your name is going to be in this book of life. See, a lot of us get nervous about all the other books that might be open. But here's the book that matters. Is your name in the book of life? Is your name in the book of life? Because if you give your life to Jesus, I don't care how much you've messed up, how many things in your life you've made mistakes on, how many terrible things you've done. The power of Jesus is greater than whatever's happened. And if your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life, you, do, you spend eternity with him. Guys, this is the Bible. This is not me just coming up with some idea. This is what the Bible teaches us. But here's what else the Bible teaches us. That anyone's name who is not found written in the book of life is thrown in the lake of fire. Now just think about that for a moment. I wish it didn't say that. Because I don't want anybody to go to the lake of fire. I wish it said something like, and anyone's name wasn't found in the book is taken into a room and explained the gospel again now that they go, it's all real. Or I wish everyone whose name wasn't found in the book, you know, the Lord says, you know what, I just did it anyways because I love you. I, I wish it said something different, but we cannot change the Bible or make the Bible say what we wish it said. So see, in the early church, they understood you know, and they wouldn't maybe say it this way, but as the old preachers in our days would say that there's a, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. They understood that there's an eternal reality here. And they understood what really matters in the midst of life and all the things you do or don't do, what really matters is, is your name in the book. With everything that can happen, with everything that's going on, is your name in the book. With all the opportunities, with all the challenge, all the different things, is your name in the book? Because when you stand before God on that judgment day, and this is the day that's going to now set out all of eternity for you, all that really matters, all that really makes a difference on that day is, is your name in the Lamb's book of life? 
And so family in the early church, they were committed to get people's name into the book. They were going to do whatever they could do to get people's name into that book. They were going to love people and pray for people and serve people. But they understood that what really matters is, is your name in the book. And the same way if we're talking about who we want to be as a church family and what God's called us to, we need to be a people who are doing whatever we can to get as many people that we possibly can and get their name in the book. We want to have a great church community, but we want to be about getting people's name into the book. We want to have great facilities and great programs, and we want to do things in excellence, but what really matters is will we be a church family that says we want to see people's names in the book. I want to ask you this afternoon, is your name in the book? If you've given your life to Jesus, you can know it is. But so many, you know, maybe there's somebody who's here today, and I just, I'd felt this in first service, I feel it again. Sometimes you're walking in, and there might be someone listening to me, there might be somebody watching online, and you're seriously considering walking away from your faith today. You're seriously considering giving up on Jesus because it's hard or giving up on Jesus because you've been through some things. I want to encourage you today. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account. And you do not want to stand before God and realize my name was in the book, but then I turned my back on him and I walked away. Because it's not just about this life right now. You can have all that this life has to offer. You can have riches. You can have fame. You can have fortune. You can have all these incredible experiences but if your name isn't in the book, in light of eternity, it will mean nothing. On the flip side, you can face real challenges in this life. You can be going through battles. You can face persecution and difficulties. Life can be hard, but if your name is in the book, when you stand before God on that day, staring over into all of eternity, you are going to be so glad that you stood for Jesus and that you live for Jesus. Is your name in the book today? And what are we doing to get other people's names into the book as well? What are we doing as a church family to get people's names into the book? Come on, somebody say, into the book. Let's look at Mark 8, 34 to 38. We're kind of hitting some of the hardcore scriptures today. Mark 8, 34 to 38 says this. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. The first thing that stood out to me from this verse, and I just want to encourage you in it this afternoon, is there is a fresh call to be a disciple of Jesus. There's a fresh call to follow Jesus with all of our heart. Jesus is looking for disciples and not fans. And too often, and I say this including myself in it, as a leader in Canadian Christianity, too often we are raising fans of Jesus and we are not raising disciples of Jesus. Fans come to watch the game. Fans cheer on and they're excited about it. But fans are all about their still, their comfort. This is about my entertainment. This is about what this is doing for me. I can leave when I want to leave. I can come when I want to come. I can eat my hot dog and get my pop, my pop and I'm good and I'll cheer you on. I'll boo you. I'll be excited. But it doesn't cost me anything besides maybe paying money to get in. That's not a disciple. A disciple's the one on the field. The disciple is the one who's on the court. The disciple is the one who's committed to the cause. The disciple the one who's giving everything. And you can come to church Sunday after Sunday, but never actually be a disciple of Jesus. You're still a fan. You love him. You love what he does for you. You're thankful for salvation. But he said, if you're going to be a disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Don't just cheer for me from a distance. Get in here with me. And I know this is like a more you know, intense word for us, family, but it's a word that's needed in these days. We are called to be disciples. 
I'm glad you're here today, but part of my job is to call you deeper in discipleship to Jesus. I want you to ask yourself today, am I a disciple or am I a fan? The second thing from this verse that stands out to me is the, the value of the souls of people. Do you see that in this passage? Just the connotation of what Jesus taught, how valuable the soul of a man or a woman is. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Number one, what makes something unique? What makes something valuable? Well, usually it's valuable because it's unique. It's valuable because it's one of a kind. You hear people talk about this is very valuable because it's one of a kind. Well, here's what I'll tell you. Actually, let me back up a second. This is what makes something valuable. Number one, who created it? You take a, a top artist and they created a painting. It could look, I mean, you know, you see some of these artwork. And sorry, I'm not so artsy. Some of you are artsy. I mean, some of that looks like they just took their brush and threw stuff on the page. And, and, you know, and then, you know, artistic people come out, oh, wow, I see the passion, the emotion. And I see everything. I, I just don't see it. I'm trying to see it. I'm really trying hard. But you know what makes it valuable? It's the creator who made it. You say, this was painted by so-and-so. Right? This was painted by Brendan Witten. You can get it for three bucks. This was painted by so-and-so. It's valuable because of the creator. Well, what about the souls of men and women? Who's their creator? Who are they made in the image of? Do you know today how valuable you are? Because not of just you, but because of who created you. Because his name is on you. He's imprinted you with his life. That would make, so we understand. Number two, what makes something valuable is how rare is it? Right? You will have original works and then you'll have copies or duplications of them. And if you want an original work, you're going to pay for an original work. Why? Because it's one of a kind. Come on, somebody say, I'm one of a kind. You are one of a kind. God created you. There's nobody else who's been like you in history. That is how valuable you are. But you know what that means? That's also how valuable that guy driving by in the street right now is. That's how valuable your coworker is. That's how valuable your neighbor is. Why? Because they were also created in the image of God. They are also one of a kind. And I believe part of what God wants to stir in our hearts is more of his understanding of how valuable every single soul is. Because what Jesus said, he said, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? He's saying, listen, everything in the world, your soul is still more valuable. Why? Because everything in the world is temporal. It is temporary. But your soul is for eternity. And so how many times, though, does the enemy try and suck us into getting caught up in temporary things in this world and lose sight of where our soul stands with God? Or how often do we get caught up? And I know for myself, family, I get caught up in it. I don't even mean to. So often it's subconscious, but there's just so many things. And God's saying, will you have a heart for souls? Will you carry my heart for every person? Will you carry my heart? And then as I led into to say, it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I think there's some, some rearranging, some shifting God wants to do in our hearts. Because many of us, I know I battle with it myself, we're still about gaining what's in this world. And God's not against us having things. God's still going to bless us. God still loves us. I'm not preaching that kind of message where you move. But I'm talking about your heart and your priority and what really matters. Are we about the things of this world or are we truly about what he's saying what really matters, which is the souls of people? Why? Because everything in this world is, when you see it through the judgment seat of Christ and you see it through this, the, 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 everything's going to pass away. The car, it's lovely. It's ultimately going to rust. The house is beautiful. I love my house, but it's not going to last forever. The clothes, I mean, come on. After about three months, you don't even want to wear them anymore. All these things. And God's saying, will you see souls? Will you see, will you step over and see what I see as valuable? Instead of getting caught up in all these other things. 
So family, this season, because I believe God's getting ready to stir something new and something fresh and something powerful. But in the middle, he's saying, here's the things I want you to stay grounded in. Here's the things I want you to stay focused in. And in the middle of the season, will we be people who are about being disciples of Jesus? Will we be people who carry God's heart and God's passion for the souls of people? Will we recognize that what he wants to do in the souls of people is way more important than anything in this world? And then the last part of this verse, it hit me hard as I was praying and getting ready. You ever know when God just zings you with something? And it's like good, but it's also like, oh, <laughs> like it's like conviction. My love, because convic- condemnation pushes you away from God, but conviction always draws you back closer to him. And as Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And the thought hit me. Am I ashamed of Jesus? Am I ashamed of his words? And I know the church answer is no, of course not, glory to God, hallelujah. You don't find out if you're ashamed in here. I mean, if you're ashamed in here, we got some real problems we got to talk about. We, we're tested when we go out there. We're tested when we have the opportunity to share with somebody. We're tested where some things around us are telling us some things are true that we know, well, that's not what Jesus says is true. But they're saying, well, if you don't agree with us, you're getting canceled. We had a, we had a real, as you said, great time at Men's Encounter yesterday, and it was a real cool moment that really impacted me. Pastor Jair was teaching us about the Lordship of Jesus. He talked about that bumper sticker that says, is God your co-pilot, or is Jesus your co-pilot? And he was saying to us, no, no, that's wrong. Because if Jesus is your co-pilot, you're still Lord. So if you got the bumper sticker, get rid of the bumper sticker because Jesus doesn't need to be your co-pilot. Jesus needs to be your pilot. Right? And so then we started to build on that metaphor a little more and we talked about some of us don't let Jesus be our co-pilot. We put Jesus in the back seat. And we want the blessings, we want the life, we want the love, but we just want to make sure we still got the steering wheel and the GPS and we control the music. Because we put him in the back seat. Well then, after this session, one of our guys, Chris uh, Lockhart, he came up to me and said, you know, I just want to share something God convicted me of. And he shared with me. I said, can you share it with all the guys? I, 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 he was like, yeah, okay, sure. I don't know if I put him on the spot. But he said to me, he said, here's what God showed me. He said, God showed me that there's different spaces in my life where I, I don't put Jesus in the co-pilot chair and I don't put him in the back seat. I ask him to get in the trunk. He said, because I'm embarrassed. He said, because it's hard to be a Christian in that space. So I kind of put him aside for that time and I put him in the trunk and then when it's safe, I ask him to come back out. And you know, that, that hit me. Because I was like, ah, did I put Jesus in the trunk a little bit more? Do you put Jesus in the trunk? When it's convenient. But that's one thing... Oh, yes, Jesus, we're with you. Again, we're in here because that's the cool thing to do. That's the popular thing to do. What happens when it's not the cool thing, when it's the popular thing? Will we stand with Jesus when nobody else will? Will we stand with Jesus when we have to pay a price? Will we stand with Jesus where it hits our pocketbook? Will we stand with Jesus if we even had to lose our job? Will we stand with Jesus even if people would turn their back on us, mock us, reject us, whatever they said? Would we still stand with Jesus? We go, yo, Jesus, keep going to the trunk because I need to have friends. I need this, I need that. It's time to give Jesus the steering wheel. And it's time to, and, 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 and you know what really hit me with this? If the team wants to come back. Here's what it says, guys. It says, if I'm ashamed of him in the middle of this generation, that he will be ashamed of me when he comes in the glory of his Father's holy angels. How about you? That's a hard one to read. Because I, I, we talk a lot about Jesus loving us and being with us. And 
He's never going to turn his back on us. And I still believe all those things. But what hit me with it was I thought, you know, if I'm ashamed of Jesus, it actually hurts him. He's a big man. He can take it. Not only that, but it actually has eternal repercussions. Why am I usually ashamed of Jesus? Why do I ask Jesus to get in the trunk? Because you know why? Because I'm worried about what people think. I'm worried of what people are going to say or people aren't going to like me or whatever else. But I think there's this awareness that i got to understand, okay, I feel this temptation right now to ask Jesus to get in the trunk. Because, but I need to understand that as I'm doing that, what I'm actually doing is I'm setting up that one day I'm going to stand before him in glory. And this is actually going to have an eternal repercussion. And I, I don't want to stand before Jesus. And I'm not saying he won't let me into heaven. I'm not saying I won't be forgiven. But I don't want to see that look of sadness or disappointment on his face. Because he's like, you always put me in the trunk. Right? I know this is intense today, guys. This is really like, Pastor, this is just so much. But it just, I, I, I never saw it this way before. Because there's pressure right now. There's more and more pressure. And basically, just put Jesus' words aside. Put what Jesus teaches aside. Put it aside. It doesn't fit right now. It's not popular opinion. But maybe we need to hear the word that says, yeah, you can do that. There'll be some consequences. I, don't, I mean, I'm still kind of praying and packaging it myself. So my prayer is, I'm like, Jesus, help me to stand with you. If nobody else stands with you, I want to stand with you. Because here's the flip side of this verse. It doesn't say it explicitly, but you can read it between the lines. If you are ashamed of him and his words in this adulterous sin for a generation, then he will be ashamed of you when he comes to glory with the Father. But if in the middle of this adulterous and sinful generation, you stand for him. If in the middle of this adulterous and sinful generation, you continue to share the gospel. If in the middle of this adulterous and sinful generation, you stand for his word, you stand for his truth, you stand for his life, then that day when it comes, when he comes in the glory of his father in the day when he comes with his angels he is going to be so honoring for you there's going to be that look on his face and he's going to see you he is not going to be ashamed of you but he is going to embrace you and he will bring you in in that time why because he says you stood for me you stood for me when nobody else would and here's the bottom line I, I just we're talking about some scriptures today if you talk about this passage, you talk about the heart. Here's the heart that I believe we need to have. We are here to see a move of God where hearts are awakened to Him. We are here to see a move of God where hearts are awakened, where our hearts are awakened. Where there's awakening in us, when there's an awakening in our spirits, when there's awakening in us, and all that our hearts awaken to Him, but we also are committed to get as many names in the book as possible. God wants to bring, I believe, such a move of His Spirit. Guys, it's part of why we're here. It's part of what God brought us here. There's this move of His Spirit. And yes, the move of His Spirit's going to involve prayer. And it's going to involve encounter. And it's going to involve radical generosity. It's going to involve community. It's going to involve being together. It's going to be a movement of praise. It's going to be a movement of thanksgiving. But it also could be a movement where the Lord wants to add to our number day by day those who are being saved. Not just talking about people joining our church, but people coming into the kingdom of God. And we need to be people who are being raised up as disciples who say we know the value of the souls we understand the value of eternity and we are not going to be ashamed of Jesus we're not going to be ashamed of his word but we are praying and we are believing for a move of God that is what even if you look here in this passage in Acts you see they were devoted you see there was awe you see there were signs and wonders you see there were people being saved this is the move that God wants to do but who among us will say yes to God? Who will say yes to Him? There have been times and places throughout history, and I think we're going to spend some more time starting to talk about them again, it's just a fresh season, where people said, God, whatever, whenever, how, we, we're here and we want you to move. We need a move of your spirit. 
And it's not just about us feeling good. It's not just about our church being nice and big and full, but it is about getting as many names into the Lamb's Book of Life as we can. It's about raising up people who are following Jesus. It's about carrying your heart wherever we go, not just being concerned about what happens in here, but having a heart for what God wants to do out there. And so we're going to talk more about that, but let me just say this and close with his prayer. There was a gentleman named Rodney Smith. Most of you probably wouldn't be familiar with him. Rodney Smith, better known as Gypsy Smith, was a renowned British evangelist in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He was born to Gypsy parents several miles northeast of London. He put his trust in Jesus at the age of 16 after his father Cornelius heard the gospel from a prison chaplain. After teaching himself to read and write, Gypsy began to practice preaching. Biographers suggest that he preached his first sermon to a field of turnips. In his early 20s, as his gift for communicating the gospel was recognized, Gypsy accepted an invitation from the Salvation Army to travel and preach. Crowds of hundreds and then thousands began to gather wherever he taught. Thousands put their faith in Jesus following his magnetic and compelling communication of the gospel. As his ministry and renown grew, Gypsy began traveling extensively between Britain and the U.S. and around the world, leading revival gatherings, evangelist crusades, stirring thousands to faith in Christ. It is estimated that he made 50, 50 transatlantic journeys in his lifetime, stoking the fire of revival in countless souls worldwide. When asked the secret to such successful, large revival gatherings, Gypsy responded, Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. And there on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Everybody say, start with me. See, we can talk about this, guys, and we're stirring our hearts for a move of God. We're stirring our hearts to see as many names as possible get into the book. And so often we want to start talking to God about out there and this and that needs to happen or somebody else. And God says, I want to start with you. God says, I want to start to bring a new fire in your heart. I want to start to bring a new fire in your life. And then what happens is if enough of us start to embrace that, we come together, what happens? There's a circle around this place, and we're saying, God, start fire in this place. Start a revival in this place. And then it overflows out of this place to people all around us. But God always wants to minister out of the overflow. He starts in you, and then it overflows into others. And so just as we bring this to a close today, a real simple response. Response. But I want to ask you, if your heart today is say, God, draw, you, I, I want the circle around me. God, start a fire in everything in this circle. God, start this fire in me. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet right now, just as we bring things close. And please, if it's not your heart today, no one will judge you for not standing. I'm not trying to get everybody to stand up. I'm wanting people who are praying that prayer today and saying, God, we want this fire in us. We want to see as many names in that book as possible. And here's what I want us to do. This is logistically going to be challenging. But I want you to get out of your seat. And I want us actually to come forward to the front of the altar. I know some of us will be in the aisles and so forth. But I want us literally, if this is our heart, I want us to come out in unity. Even as we bring this to a close. And if you can just kind of squeeze up to the front. But just come across the front today. Come across and let's just come before the Lord. And we're saying, God, start a fire in me. God, let the fire in me grow. Let the fire in me burn. Yeah, come and just kind of squeeze up into the corners so more people behind you can kind of fit through. And come on, let's just raise our hands to the Lord today. It's all across this place because we are drawing a circle around us and we're saying, God, start the fire in me. We're saying, God, do this work in me. We want to see as many names get into that book as possible. And we don't just want to enjoy the blessings for ourselves, and never make an effort to share them with somebody else and so father we just come together today in jesus name and lord we ask for your fire in us god we thank you for this heart that you want us to have to reach people with your love and guys, stand up for myself. I struggle with this so many times. And I'm like, oh, I'm not passionate enough. I'm not focused enough. I'm insecure. I have a hard time talking to people sometimes. I get, but you know what I just learned to do? I just, okay, Lord, just help me. Grow me, Lord. I just keep coming back. It's your strength that I do this anyways. It's not in my own strength, but it's in your strength. Thank you, Lord. And so we just pray. Start your fire in us.
we just take a moment. Let's just, let's just take a moment to worship together, Lord. I just believe, even as you're worshiping, that God's just lighting a fresh fire in your heart. Even after the season we've come through and the encounters and everything, that we'd ask God, just light the fire in our heart. Light the fire in us in a fresh way. Just cultivate, stir it up, Lord. Stir it up in us.
come on, just declare it. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and leave me in your love to those around me. And holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my Father, we just thank you today for this work that you are doing in us. Lord, even as we've been talking about prototype, I want you, I pray that we just right in the middle of it all would be a heart for you. It would be a heart for your kingdom. It would be a heart to see people get their names in the book. It would be a heart to, to see a move of your spirit. It's not just about our church, but something that touches churches and touches our city and touches our nation. And so we just ask you, Lord, just as Gypsy Smith would say, God, there's a circle around us. Light a fire in everything in this circle. In the name of Jesus. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen, amen. God's good, amen? Amen. All right, well, we want to bring things to a close. Um, moms and dads, you can go quick to get your kids because we, we should definitely stretch our kids. Make sure you thank them. Give them a big thanks. And here's what I'll ask as we're going. If you know you need to be right with God, if you're not sure that your name is written in the book and you want your name written in the book, we're going to have a few leaders just hanging out up here at the front. Just stay or come. Just come as we're leaving. We want to pray with you and just stand with you so you can make sure your name's in the book because that comes through receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Remember, classes, you can register this week. Thank you for being here. Let's have a great time through the rest of the day. Let's have an amazing week. Let's go get some names in the book. Amen. God bless you guys.